Let us now turn to the reading of God's holy word as we will turn to John chapter 16, the verses 1 through 16. John 16, beginning at verse 1. Hear God's holy and inspired word. Jesus speaking here. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. So far, the reading of God's holy inspired word. Now, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are scheduled to celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday, the Lord willing. And so, your consistory has asked me to deliver a preparatory message for you this hour. And it is, according to the Word of God, it is to be a stimulating, proper message for preparation and that for celebrating the Lord's Supper. And who can best deliver such a message that is stimulating but the Holy Spirit? Not man, but the Holy Spirit. And I pray, and we have prayed for that, that the Holy Spirit would indeed do that for you and for me this hour. For this reason, I want you to consider specifically 
the need of the Holy Spirit in preparation for celebrating the Lord's Supper. And with that in mind, we have some very enlightening words that come from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as we find them in John 16, the verses 7 through 11. And those are the words of our text, and I want to read them with you again. Jesus saying the following, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I must be honest that I cannot possibly deal with every aspect of this glorious passage that I've just read. It is a very rich and a very good text. But let me draw out three aspects. Some words that will help you and me in preparation for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so let us then consider this in the following way. The need for the Holy Spirit for preparation. First, for conviction. Secondly, for company. And then thirdly, for comfort. Now, congregation, Jesus Christ has promised the Holy Spirit to His church. It's a promise that He has given. And this promise was finally fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, the day that we have celebrated just recently, a few weeks ago. And this promise of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is, is loaded. That, that promise is loaded because there are so many benefits to the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And so I want to this cuss this with you, or I want to declare this to you rather, this promise of the Holy Spirit does not only affect a small group of men who were there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out originally in the land of Israel during that period of church history. No, it has had longer and wider effects. This promise affects the world. It affects all nations, tongues, tribes and races of the world and that for all times and since the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago he is here to stay at least until the Lord Jesus Christ returns upon the clouds on the last day and as the Holy Spirit is here to stay dear people he does much work one preacher once said it this way, that the Holy Spirit has his workshop here upon earth in this day and age. And we must say that respectfully as well, that he, the Holy Spirit, carries a number of hats. Today, you and I here in this world and in our situation presently, preparing for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we may benefit therefore for such work and for such presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And just to consider one of the many works that He, the Holy Spirit, does, we could say that He, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of conviction. This is why Jesus says here in our text, 
referring to the Holy Spirit. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, in the first instance, this is the Holy Spirit's work amongst unbelievers. He convicts the world, so we are told. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And let us not be fooled, dear people. The world of unbelievers knows what sin is, knows what righteousness is, and knows what judgment is. The world of unbelievers know the difference between right and wrong and that there is a judgment to come. However, as the Apostle Paul says it, that this, and you can read of that in Romans chapter 1, that this renders every man, every woman, every boy and girl in this world, it renders every person without excuse. But of course, it needs to be said as well, that the world does, the world of unbelievers does not care. It takes pleasure in sin. It turns righteousness, as it were, upside down, and it thumbs its nose at the judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts the world so that the world will be without excuse once it has to face the judgment, and it will. But now, here is the point, dear people, that we can examine ourselves on as well. How do we, you and I, how do we look at sin? Surely, if we are confessing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we plan to attend the Lord's Supper, then we don't take pleasure in sin, do we? We should not. True, as believers, and we've heard it this morning as well, as believers, we are not sinless. We do sin, much to our grief and to the grief of God the Holy Spirit. We do sin, but we take no pleasure in it. We, we want to escape from it if we can. Our sin drives us time and again to the throne of grace, where we confess and repent and beg for forgiveness as you heard this morning. The Holy Spirit convicts us, you see, by giving us a living and tender conscience so that when we do sin on occasion, our conscience speaks up and makes us feel bad about it, uncomfortable about it, if not miserable about it, until we actually are forgiven again. David with Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 is actually good, um, good evidence of such convicting conscience-prodding work of God the Holy Spirit. And if we are in the right place towards the Lord Jesus Christ, we will no doubt join in with David. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Psalm 51 verse 12. Do you know something of such convicting work of God the Holy Spirit, dear people? Examine yourself this week on that matter. Then, as our text goes on and says, the Holy Spirit also convicts the world of righteousness. But as I said already, the world of unbelievers turns righteousness right upside down. You see it all around us, don't you? You catch it on the news every day. What is right 
is now called wrong quite often. What is good has often been called bad. What is immoral has now been called choice. And what is injustice is now called human rights. We live in an age of, of a growing anti-Christian spirit and that is sensed all around us. And we pray that the Lord will keep us from harm because of such anti-Christian spirit in society. And this is what the world is made of righteousness, you see. And the world knows it because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of it. But again, the world does not care, does it? But as confessed believers in Jesus Christ, we do care. We do, don't we? Because righteousness is, after all, is the greatest treasure that Jesus Christ has sacrificed Himself for. After all, He is called our righteousness. And He is righteousness in person. Without Him, after all, we are lost in our strivings for heaven. And we will never get there without Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Without His righteousness, we do not stand a chance of heaven. As confessed believers, therefore, in the Lord Jesus Christ, soon to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you would not dare to turn righteousness upside down because as Paul writes and tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31, but of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, again, examine yourself on how you view this righteousness. Do you honor it for what it is? And have you learned already to glory in it for yourself? Well, let the Holy Spirit convict you of this. Then, as our text goes on, the Holy Spirit also comes to convict the world of judgment. But again, as I have said already, the world thumbs its nose at it. The world of unbelievers has its own theory that has blinded millions and millions of people. And this theory is as follows, that when you die, well, that's the end of your story. Now, this is known as the theory of nihilism. The basic meaning of that is that it denies existence after death. No afterlife, no everlasting soul, no judgment, no eternity, no punishment, no nothing. Nothing. But God's Word tells us differently, doesn't it? Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And as confessed believers, we respect this biblical truth and we conduct ourselves, therefore, according to it, knowing that we all will have to face the judgment, as we are told in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And when we stand before the judgment of God, 
There's no greater thing that can possibly happen to us to have Jesus Christ standing right next to us or standing right in front of us. Say to the Father, Father, I have died for him and for her. I have sacrificed myself for his or her sins. Therefore, no judgment to fall upon all those who have embraced Jesus Christ in faith. Well, again, examine yourself, dear people, this week and ask yourself, how does this particular truth affect my conduct? Have I learned already? Have I learned to, to speak to others and to speak about others in a gracious way, knowing that someday I will have to give an account of what I've said and what I've done? And just going back to what you heard this morning, have you learned to ask for forgiveness? And have you learned also to forgive others? And then may I insert this one thing that perhaps was not clear this morning, and that is this, that you need to be prepared to forgive others what they have done to you, even though they might not ask you to forgive them. And that is a situation in some cases where they've done you wrong, but they will never come to ask you to forgive them. Nevertheless, you must be ready to forgive them. You must have forgiveness in your heart for them in case they ask. And so, again, going back to what we have just spoken, that you and I, we need to know that we have learned forgiveness and we have learned to forgive others their sins, even though they may not even ask for it. Well, again, also have you learned to be compassionate and kind and caring because this is part of the judgment as well for us, for you and me. Have you settled your differences with your brother or with your sister, or with your father, or with your mother? Have you found opportunities to go that extra mile, so to speak? Have you become a neighbor to those who are down and out, as the Good Samaritan once was such a fine example of it? Not only is the Lord's Supper scheduled, but dear people, so is Judgment Day. The Holy Spirit is therefore busy convicting you and me of the implication of this truth as well. And therefore, don't be like the world and thumb your nose at it. It too is part of self-examination and of preparation for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so, as our text makes this very clear, that the presence and the need of the Holy Spirit is meant, first of all, for conviction. But now secondly, as we will consider the need of the Holy Spirit and that for company. Now, when the Lord Jesus speaks here in our text of the coming of the Holy Spirit, He adds, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And when Jesus said this to His disciples, He did not mean to deprive them of spiritual company. 
He did not mean it in this sense. Well, goodbye. I'm leaving you now for good. You won't see me anymore. No, but he meant this in a sense of someone else is taking my place. I'm leaving you. You won't see me physically present anymore, at least not in this time. But I'm leaving to give room and place for some spiritual company. And of course, we know who and what this spiritual company is all about. It is the person and work of God the Holy Spirit. Two chapters earlier, in John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus already promised His disciples, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters who are planning to partake of the Lord's Supper next Sunday, are you aware of such spiritual company? And are you conducting yourselves because of such spiritual company that you have? Because He not only abides with you, but He also dwells in you, you see. In fact, it can be said that your body, my body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to keep that temple clean. Do not defile it, dear people, with the filth and the corruption and the smut which the world makes so readily available as it comes through a needle or through a pill or through some vapor or through a bottle or a smartphone or in some other way. Don't let it happen to you. Paul has some very strong words to say about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the verses 18 through 20, and let me read that for you. This is the Word of God. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, this is very practical, isn't it? Very practical. We might talk very spiritual and assume that such talk is then sufficient for a worthy participation of the Lord's Supper. But dear people, there is a practical side to it as well. Are you a conscientious guardian and caretaker of the temple of the Holy Spirit, that is, your body? You're in company of the Holy Spirit who wants everything about you clean and holy and dedicated to the Lord. He wants to see a strong attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ, like a branch to a vine. He wants to see fruit on you, even the fruit, as we are told, for instance, of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, isn't it a surprise that these fruit that this is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, because as your indweller and company, this is what the Holy Spirit produces, you see. And it is what Jesus Christ actually looks for, fruit of the Spirit. And so examine yourself on that. Am I a fruit-bearing Christian? 
And then perhaps you might also ask yourself, are there some fruits that are still lagging with me? The Holy Spirit, it is meant, He is meant for company, and it is meant for your companionship. And this should be evident also in your prayer life, because He is known as the Spirit of prayer. And Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, how the Holy Spirit should be our prayer companion when he speaks of praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And so, again, examine yourself. Is the Holy Spirit your prayer companion? Let him take you along, so to speak, as his blessed as you engage in blessed devotions towards God. And if you find your prayer life dull and lifeless at times, which is possible, call on the Holy Spirit that He would come alongside of you to invigorate your prayer life. When you find it difficult to pray because of circumstances, then be assured that He, the Holy Spirit, prays for you and even with groanings that cannot be uttered, as the Bible says. Lean much on your prayer companion, because this is just another reason why Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, and as we have a need for the Holy Spirit. This is why He once said to His disciples, I go to my Father, and you see me no more, implying that we look for the Holy Spirit for help and for companionship. But now, there's, there's one more aspect that I want to touch on as to why Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit, who in turn helps us in preparations for celebrating the Lord's Supper. We not only need the Holy Spirit for conviction, we not only need the Holy Spirit for company, but in the third place we need the Holy Spirit for comfort. And in the context of this whole text, John 16, the verses 7 through 11, and what comes before it and what comes after it, we may conclude that Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. Why? For their comfort. Jesus wanted to put his disciples at ease. Yes, he would leave them. He would go to his Father in heaven and they would see him no more. But he would not leave them in a state of anxiety. And therefore he left them with a message of comfort. In fact, he would give them the Holy Spirit to fill their need as a comforter. Now in our text, in verse 7, the word parakletos is translated as helper. And in the original, it actually means one who is called to be at my side, parakletos. And it is translated in the New King James Version as helper. It's not a bad translation. The King James Version has comforter, which is perhaps a more common translation of it. But for us, confessing believers, the Holy Spirit is our comforting helper who is there with us. Particularly, He's there with us in our weaknesses, in our fears, and in our doubts. And therefore, as you prepare yourself for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, and as you examine yourself, find your comfort, find your help 
with the Holy Spirit, this comforting helper. You should not be surprised, therefore, to discover some weaknesses in you, weaknesses in overcoming sin and temptation, weaknesses in, in, in serving the Lord more steadfastly than you should have, weaknesses in, in loving the Lord and in loving His people. But let the Holy Spirit in on those weaknesses. Speak to Him about this. Let Him shore you up, so to speak. Let Him help you. Let Him carry you on from here. Because after all, this is part of the work of the Holy Spirit as He has come into this world. Now, perhaps, perhaps you have sensed that your serving the Lord is not at all what it should be yet or what it has been in the past. Again, consult with the Holy Spirit about this and ask Him for guidance, ask Him for energy, ask Him for dedication to serve the Lord. The Holy Spirit, you see, He can give direction in all of this. As the Apostle Paul once found this out, when he was unsure where his missionary work would carry him, then the Holy Spirit directed him to engage in missionary work activities in Europe. You can read of that in Acts 16. Therefore, dear people, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Perhaps, as you examine yourself, you find that your love for the Lord and that your love for His people is not always very strong. Well, again, speak to the Holy Spirit about this. Ask Him to give you a fresh view of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as the Lord Himself once said it in a few verses after our text, He, that is the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. John 16, verse 14. And when the Holy Spirit does so, dear people, you will find yourself growing in love for the Savior. And you will have that comforting, you will have that encouraging thought about partaking of the Lord's Supper. And you will be longing to be there as well. So in closing, dear brothers and sisters, see your need of God the Holy Spirit. See your need for it. Plead for it, for a rich abundance of the sense of the Holy Spirit, that He comes to you and, as it were, brings the Lord Jesus Christ close to you, even into your heart. Because He, that is Jesus Christ, He knows exactly what you need. And the Holy Spirit can best answer your needs as well. Let the Holy Spirit therefore be part and parcel of the preparation of self-examination this week to convict you, to accompany you, and to comfort you. And praise be to Him when that is experienced by you who hope to attend the Lord's Supper next Sunday, the Lord willing. Well, Let's turn to the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The form as has been handed out to you. And um, I will read the first part of that with you. <clears throat> Beloved in the 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Supper has been instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of this institution as they are described by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That we may now celebrate the supper of the Lord to our comfort, it is necessary rightly to examine ourselves and further to consider carefully that purpose for which Christ has ordained this sacrament, namely to do it in remembrance of Him. And so we will read the call to self-examination. True self-examination consists of three parts. First, let each of you carefully consider your sins and the curse due to them a curse for them, so that you loathe and humble yourselves before God, considering that the wrath of God against sin is so great that He, rather than leaving it unpunished, has punished it in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Second, let each of you examine whether you, are, you also believe this trustworthy promise of God that all your sins are forgiven, only through the cross of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is graciously imputed to you as your own, indeed so completely as if you personally had satisfied for all your sins and fulfilled all righteousness. Third, let each of you carefully examine your own conscience to see if you are determined to show true thankfulness to God in every area of life, and to walk sincerely before his face, striving to lay aside all hostility, hatred, and envy, resolving from this day forward to live in true love and unity with your neighbor. All those, then, who are of this mind, God will certainly receive in grace as worthy partakers of the table of Christ. On the contrary, those who do not believe this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Therefore, according to God's word, we admonish all those who are guilty and continue in the following sins to abstain from the table of the Lord and declare that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ. All who refuse to trust in the Lord alone, serve Him in their own way, abuse the name of the Lord, do not diligently attend the worship services and neglect the holiness of the Lord's day, rebel against authority, violate human life, cherish hatred and bitterness, do not keep themselves sexually pure, all who by stealing 
or extravagance lead a worldly life. Liars, backbiters, and slanderers, all who show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life. As long as they continue in such sins, they shall not take of, of this food which Christ has ordained only for his believers. Otherwise, their judgment and condemnation will be the heavier. But beloved brothers and sisters, this warning is not intended to discourage those believers with broken and contrite hearts, as if no one might come to the Lord's Supper except the sinless. We do not come to this supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves, but on the contrary, groaning under the body of this death, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. We come confessing that we do have many shortcomings, that we do not have perfect faith. We do not serve God with sufficient zeal, but we must struggle daily with the weakness of our faith and against the evil lusts of our flesh. However, the grace of the Holy Spirit makes us sorry for our shortcomings, gives us the desire to live according to all God's commandments and live and helps us to fight against unbelief. Therefore, we can rest assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and mercy as worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. And that is then the end of the matter of self-examination. Let us now close with prayer of thanksgiving. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that has come to us this hour. Through the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ that is in the word, and Lord, may it be that we have heard it in our hearts, that we may find that, yes, the Holy Spirit does convict, and He does indeed challenge us in every way to examine ourselves. Holy Spirit, help us to do so. Help your people so that they may be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a manner that is pleasing to you. But Lord, we also pray for the young people, for the boys and girls who have not yet made public confession of faith. And as they will be onlookers tomorrow, this, this next Sunday, we pray for them that you would create in their hearts a desire after celebrating the Lord's Supper one day as well that you would work in our young people, in our boys and girls, a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that when they come to age and are able to confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they too may partake of this blessed Lord's Supper. We pray for them as well. Bless us now as we go our homeward way. Grant that we may reflect upon the things we have heard and that we have read and grant also that our examination of self may be in such a way that it is practical and that it is according to your holy word. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.